Hey everybody, welcome to Burke Reviews Movie Cast. I'm John Burke, and with me this week is Sean Bowman. Yo. And, um, hey, you didn't steal Corey's greeting. Uh, this is a special episode of uh, Movie Cast. We've been doing this. This will be the third episode of the February Take Six Challenge. Um, Sean, you want to tell the listeners what the Take Six Challenge is? Yes. So basically, uh, last year we did a Take Five Challenge in which we made each other watch five movies of our choice. Uh, this year we added a movie and a little bit more structure to it. And so basically we suggested to each other two good movies to watch, two bad movies to watch. And for this episode and the past episode, we discussed one good and one bad. And at the end of this episode, we are going to reveal our wildcard picks, which allow us to either punish or reward the other player for their choices. And so we'll be discussing those two movies in the next episode. Yep, after we announce them this episode. Um, and the, the beauty is Sean thought ahead, and uh, one of us is going to get to go first with our first wildcard pick. Then the other one will go two and three. And then the, the first person gets to go last. So they have a chance to really punish if the the second person is cruel. Um, and there's been some cruelty, and it's not coming from me. Uh, Sean seeks to go for the jugular. And I think he enjoys other people suffering a little too much. Um, which will when we get into our, our bad movies from last week, um, you'll hear. Because Sean's, Sean's mean. So... Um, for this, uh, this is week two, and our first weeks, um, Sean had to watch Teen Wolf 2, which he ended up really liking, and I picked uh, my the good movie for that week, The Apartment from 1960, directed by Billy Wilder, starring Jack Lemmon and Shirley MacLaine, and he hated that, or at least didn't like it, um, and, and so that kind of flipped you, on me. And for you, I picked, um, for the bad movie was Suspiria. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 2018 remake by Luca Guadagnino, and you didn't really care for that one so much. True, I didn't and hate then, it, but I did not. I definitely wouldn't say I liked it. And then for the good movie, I picked um, an indie film called All These Small Moments by mm. uh, Melissa Miller Constanzo, I believe. And um, you thought that one was solid. Yeah, I did. Um, although I will, I will also say I I keep forgetting about it. Like not in a, not necessarily in a bad way, but it definitely didn't leave as impactful of a mark. And it sounded like we both hesitated to recall what movies we picked, but we both watch a lot of movies. Sean watches more than I do, but we both watch quite a bit of movies. So to be fair, that was a couple of weeks worth of movies that we've watched since those. Um, but all these small moments definitely a solid film. Um, I don't think it's it would be in my top five of uh, you know like coming of age stories or teen dramedies um by any means but it's still definitely a a very watchable film with some really good performances though um and stars teen icon molly ringwald not as a teen but um yes so this week uh sean's gonna go first with his uh, the review of the bad film that i picked which i picked dog eat dog uh dog eat dog is a movie directed by paul schrader who directed Academy Award first nominated Academy <laughs> Award nominated Paul Schrader who directed First Reformed this year and he also it also stars um, Willem Dafoe and Nicolas Cage it's got a 53 on Metacritic so like this wasn't like supposed to be a terrible movie no but it was a terrible movie oh okay like, it was <laughs> not good at all <laughs> Like, I am shocked that this movie even exists. Oh, man. That's... Because some of it is so crazy that I'm watching it and I'm thinking, is this an actual movie? <laughs> like, I don't understand how some of this got through the censors. Oh, wow. Like, okay. There's there's one scene in which, like, legitimately... Nicholas Cage is looking for a pacifier and Nicholas Cage says what's that thing you put in a baby's mouth and Willem Dafoe oh god flat faced says a male genital but like uses a slang term for it oh man uh, and then they just gloss over it like they don't even address it 
See, th- that sounds like a Nicolas Cage movie. It doesn't sound like a Willem Dafoe movie. That's what was so shocking to me when I saw the trailer for this, when I, I rented Mandy on Blu-ray back um, in January, and this was a trailer in that in that movie, um, in the opening of the movie, and I was just like, hold up, how do I not know about this movie? And then when I saw Paul Schrader directed, I'm like, okay, I'm very intrigued. So listeners know I didn't pick this knowing it was definitely going to be bad. I picked this for him to test so I would know whether I wanted to waste my time or not. Sounds like I don't. Oh, oh, it's yes. This is one of those that's like so bad. It's hilarious and you need to see it to believe it. Oh, man. Like it's it's crazy. Like. And there's a lot of weird like artistic things that don't exactly make sense. Mm. And there was a lot of like flashiness to it that wasn't entirely necessary. But Nicolas Cage and Willem Dafoe both ham it up, and it's really fun to watch the two of them together. Nice. So like, their chemistry's good. It wasn't entirely unwatchable. I was just shocked by some of the dialogue and some of the imagery that this is even happening. And the plot of the film doesn't even come in until like the last 30 minutes. So like the first hour is just like meandering along with these characters. Oh man, that's crazy. Like because like the IMDb summary is a crew of ex-cons are hired by a Cleveland, uh, Cleveland mafioso to kidnap the baby of a rival mobster, and that doesn't even happen until about an hour in the movie. Yeah, um, that's not too surprising to me. Um, I don't. It's got to be the same production company as Mandy or something, because that's you can Probably. almost. Like, if we cut some of the uh, Willem Dafoe references out of your review here, it would sound like you're talking about Mandy. Um, like, the artistic flourishes and things don't make sense, and the plot really doesn't kick in until the last 30 minutes. I'm like, yeah, all of that sounds like Mandy. Um, yeah, it's the same production company. Yeah, so... Or not production company, distributor. Ah, there you go. Um, yeah, they must just like these kind of quirky, arty, weirdo, you know, eccentric films, and... Paul Schrader directing that makes sense because First Reform's not exactly going to be accessible to everybody either. Although the story's from the beginning, it's not th- three quarters of the way through before you get to the story. But, um, yeah, and this is on Netflix where you watched it, right? Yes, it was. Um, so I didn't have to use any money for it. I I didn't regret watching it because it was so shockingly funny, but like, it's not good. I don't understand how it has a 53. Like, I, I legitimately am questioning the sanity of the people who gave it higher yeah, than, like, I, a 50. Yeah, because uh, if you're not familiar with Metacritic, it's the average of the critic scores that were assigned. So it's, like, more like a test score. So it's not like Rotten Tomato where it's just uh, people say it's good or people say it's bad, and that's the percentage that you see. This is a accurate kind of where the movie falls within the scale of 100. So 53, while not good, is a, a almost D. You know, it's like seven points away from a D if you're thinking, I'm a teacher, so I always think in that kind of grade scale area. Um, and it, that's fairly accurate because the best movies are in the 90s and then the, the really good, solid films that probably some people love like the best movies are going to be in the 80s. And then your your average is in the, the average good movies in the 70s. Um, and usually 60s is going to be a little divisive. Some people will like them, some people won't. But when you get to the 50s, you start getting into that not-so-good territory. But when you know it's a bad movie, you get into, like, like I think Hudson Hawk is a 17 or something like that. Um, which, again, I think Hudson Hawk is fine. But most people don't. So, you know, 53 is a is a pretty solid score for a movie that sounds to be out there. Although... I still can't get over Mandy's like meta score, which is in the nineties, I think. Um, I don't think it's nineties. I think it's it's an eighty-one. Maybe Rotten Tomato was ninety then. Eighty-one is way too high for Mandy. I completely agree with you, although we are in the critical minority, obviously. Um, but that so movie... yeah, for for Doggy Dog, I'd probably give it a um, not a total waste of time. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's not too bad. Um, I will, uh, Sean, on the other hand, who I gave Sean a movie that I didn't know if it would be good or bad, but I thought it would be potentially fun, because Nicolas Cage always goes 100%. Like, unlike Bruce Willis, who's doing these straight-to-DVD movies where they're probably just him standing there, and it's probably one shot that they just reuse over and over again because he didn't want to act, um, Nicolas Cage goes in to these movies, and he gives 
you Nicolas Cage. So you at least have the potential for some cagey goodness. And I've, I don't think I've ever seen a Willem Dafoe performance phoned in. So I felt like at the very least you were going to get something worth, you know, in engaging performances from the, those two actors. And it sounds like that's accurate. It is. Um, unlike Sean, who went for my jugular, um, ripped it I out. I did not know for sure whether this would be bad or good or not. It Tr- could have been brilliant. No, no, it couldn't have. Um, Sean picked Norm of the North, Keys to the Kingdom, which uh, let's talk about the first one, which I made Sean watch only because last year he made me go watch Fifty Shades Freed, knowing I had not seen either of the other two, and it was only going to be in theaters, which meant I had to go sit with other people and watch a movie like that in a community where I am a teacher. So there's a lot. And this, this is why we have the wild card. Yes. Because last year um, we changed the rotation, or we changed the um, assignments halfway through the month, Mm-hmm. And so he got to punish me with worse films. And yeah. so now we have the wild card to let each other punish each other. Yeah, so. basically inspired by uh, a coincidence last year. But Norm of the North was the movie that I – and Boss Baby I made him watch last year. So he thought, and justifiable, to make me watch the straight-to-DVD sequel, Norm of the North, Keys to the Kingdom, that could not even get its star Rob Sh- – uh, Rob – oh, man, I – blanking on his name Rob Schneider Schneider that's I couldn't get the N in there Rob Schneider isn't even voicing Norm here so right now the movie does not have a meta a meta score because it's just not been seen probably by any well, self-respecting meta critic score doesn't do uh, straight to, or straight to DVD, so. okay I was not aware of that um, but it has a 3.1 IMDb user score but only 136 which is low for an IMDb user score usually you get at least a thousand that just shows you the level of people not giving a crap about this movie. Um, so I didn't know what I was getting into. I, I did not watch the first one. I heard Sean's review of it. Um, and it should be noted that uh, up until a, a month or two into its release in 2016, it had a zero on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, it has a 21 meta score now, but only 18 reviews for the original. Uh, 3.6 IMDb user score for the original. Um, but a much bigger cast, Heather Graham, Rob Schneider, Ken Jeong, none of those people are in this movie. Uh, you have essentially, and I don't want to insult them because they're all voice actors, but they're, they're not, they're not household names that you're going to recognize. So I won't bother to read the cast out loud, but, um, and it's got two directors, which always speaks highly of an animated film like this, Richard Finn and Tim Maltby. Um, now we didn't mention this at the top, but we, we are not going to spoil these films. However, I'm going to spoil some of Norm of the North, Keys to the Kingdom, only because uh, there are essentially two movies in this movie, um, loosely connected by the thinnest of threads. Uh, I was I was so excited because I thought the movie was ending because there was this big helicopter chase sequence. Yes, yes, there's a helicopter chase sequence in a polar bear-driven animated cartoon. Um <laughs> And that happens at 45 minutes. Now, I didn't know it's only been 45 minutes because this movie felt like it took four hours. And I felt like I'd been watching it plenty long. And my wife and daughter were in other rooms while I was watching this um, and heard me exclaim, It's only halfway? Um, because I was thinking to myself, there's no way you can top a helicopter chase sequence. And it's 45 minutes into the movie. So, um... I, I was so disappointed that I had more to go. Um, and that's so the first part is uh, he's invited back to New York. Um, this it should be noted that apparently Norm can speak human. That is the phrasing that they use. He speaks human because there is a language called human, apparently, and Norm speaks it. Um, they do not indicate he can speak multiple languages that humans speak, just that he speaks human. Uh, there's never a scene where a character speaks a language other than English, and he also can speak to them. So the implication is that the little girl who's supposed to be a genius is a moron. But nonetheless, um, he goes to New York because he's being given, guess what, the keys to the city, not the kingdom. But he's also been uh, assigned king of the Arctic because, yes, polar bears are apparently the uh, monarch of the Arctic Circle, uh, ruling over penguin seals and reindeer. Um, I think they're reindeer. And 
And uh, lemmings, for some reason. I don't know. Are lemmings, like, native to... I have no idea. I, I wouldn't think so, but they're his sidekicks. They are the minions of the Norm franchise. Um, they are... There is going to be a third film as well. Oh, there's so... going to be two more, according to IMDb. Oh, two more? There's one I, in production. I Keys to the Kingdom was originally going to be like two 45-minute shorts, and that's probably why it feels disjointed. But... Okay, so here's the connection, because I said they're loosely connected, right? When he's getting the Keys to the Kingdom, there is an odd product placement that the mayor, because the mayor is giving him the keys. Um, he holds up a bottle of, uh, wait, hold on, I wrote it down somewhere, Far North, I think is what it's called. Far North Water. Um, and... Uh, Oh, what I, I'm fairly confident it's far north. Um, yeah, far north water. He holds up a bottle and he drinks it very, you know, product placement-y. Um, it's also in the, on a banner behind the mayor. And that's all that's brought up, right? It's like, far north water, blah, blah, blah. It's the coldest, blah. So that the first half of the movie, that's the only reference to far north water. And then, uh, so things happen. Norm, 45 minutes in, Norm's like, hey, we've done it. We got the key to the kingdom. We, we fixed the... Uh, the plot point because the first plot point is the key to the king the key to the city opens every door in the city that's that's what? the conceit yeah yeah that's the conceit so what? norm yeah norm is given this key that can open every door to new york city uh goes to sleep what? wakes up and somebody and i'm sorry not somebody norm apparently has robbed Tons and tons of businesses in New York using the key to the city. Of course, <laughs> Norm didn't, so somebody has framed the polar bear who speaks human. Um, and so the the rest of the first half of the movie is him trying to solve who done it, right? Um, which is not not satisfying whatsoever. Um, then they meet a they meet a racially insensitive bunny who is a kung fu rabbit that runs a bank and there's no real explanation to why there's another animal who speaks again human um because there are animals in the movie who don't speak human with no explanation whatsoever um in fact all the other polar bears except for norm and his son um don't speak human but somehow norm and one of his three children speak human anyways um so the second half of the movie, when he goes back to the Arctic with, you know, he's got his crown, he's got some confidence, finds out that his idiot brother has made a deal with, guess who, Far North Water, selling the ice of the Arctic so they can make their water. So they cut big sections of ice out of the Arctic and are taking it somewhere, melting it, bottling it, selling it to the stupid public as, you know, global warming apparently is uh, being expedited by this group who is harvesting the ice. Um, and so there, there's obviously only one thing Norm can do to stop this, which is challenge the fake country of, um, oh, I wrote that down too, something Uzbekistan type of, it sounds like the world of Borat, but uh, he challenges them to their native pastime, hockey. So now it's a hockey movie. Uh, three quarter, you know, halfway through, we switch from a detective story with a helicopter chase sequence back to the Arctic where we now will have a hockey match to determine the fate of the uh, ice, essentially. Um, yeah, that's this movie, folks. It is um, fairly Sounds confident. Wonderful. I lost some brain cells. Um, <laughs> more damaging than a uh, college frat party um, to my brain, for sure. So I recommend so, that nobody watches so this. Rating we give it? Oh, 100% avoid like the plague. Um <laughs> It is absolutely torturous. I, I hope to never have to sit through another Norm of the North film. Um, I don't know how a cartoon can be this bad. Um, like, remember, um, there was the movie, I'm, I'm now not going to draw a blank, with uh, Chris Hardwick was the voice of a cow. Barn, Barnyard, I Barnyard. think it was. Um, so Barnyard should have been horrible, but it's not. It's actually quite enjoyable. And then Nickelodeon decided, hey, you know what? We need a TV series of this. And that should have been horrible, and it wasn't. It's fantastic. It's actually very, very entertaining. Okay, I was about to say, if you're in a trash <coughs> barnyard, I'm going to no. be really upset. But I'm saying, that was like my childhood. movies like that can be great. So I don't know how things like this can exist. Because, like, there are tons and tons of, like, movies that are very deliberate, like, 
moral lessons like veggie tales right that's gonna it's gonna teach a christian valued lesson and some of those can feel cheesy to someone who maybe doesn't agree with those values but they serve a purpose there's no purpose being served by norm of the north like there's no function it's not entertaining it's not simple humor they even they the fart jokes that they have don't even like they're just randomly and and forgotten like the lemming farts and like nobody even acknowledges it it's just it's absolute trash do you think young children would enjoy it i don't i do i think they would they might like a very young child might just be captivated by the movements and colors and the fact that there's recognizable animals right but outside of that, I don't. And once a kid starts thinking, this there's nothing engaging about this. There's at least there's nothing to make this a go-to movie. There's a billion other cartoons that are much much better. Um, even again, I'm like people bash Minions. Put Minions on in front of your kid. It's a smarter movie than what you get from Norm of the North, like by far. And that is saying something if you've seen Minions. Minions is at least funny. And there is a, a at least a singular plot because this movie does not. Again, the loosest string of connection from the first half to the second half is that far north waters introduced in the first half. I mean, it's essentially this movie's checkoff gun. You know, it's like, oh, there it is. It's gonna have to go off sometime. Yep, there it is. <laughs> wow. All right, sorry I went so long on Norm of the North, but I was I had a lot to say about it. It was interesting. <laughs> that said, um. Let's get to the good movies from the week, or at least hopefully good movies. Um, what did I recommend for you? I watched uh, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Oh my god, 2001, yes. And I did not hate it. I loved it. Um, okay. It, <laughs> um, it's directed by John Cameron Mitchell. And uh, last year I watched his movie, uh, How to Talk to Girls at Parties, and I absolutely loved that movie. Um, so I've been meaning to check this off of my list for a while, and this gave me the excuse or the necessity to check it off my list, and I really enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was very good, um, really interesting uh, cinematography. Mm-hmm. Like something I noticed was that like most movie musicals um, that are like adaptions or ad- adaptations of like stage plays fall into one or two categories that it's either like way too flashy or like it's um just like basically a recording of the stage musical yeah and i felt like this one fell into like a nice middle ground and i really enjoyed it for that um i thought the um the characters were super compelling um I thought the music was really good. I uh, the song "Origin of Love," I think is what it was called. Um, that one was really strong, and um, the performances are great. Uh, John Cameron Mitchell knocks it out of the park, both in front of and behind the camera. Yeah, in my opinion. And then um, the only thing I felt like it was um, kind of lacking was there were some moments that it was trying to be funny, I think, and it didn't come across as funny to mm. me. Um, there were a few funny moments, like um, like the part where he was talking about the gummy bears. Like, that was funny. But, um, yeah, I'm just trying to dance around the spoilers, so I'm yeah, saying, like, yeah. general things. But, like, I felt like a lot of the humor did fall flat. Hmm. Um but otherwise, I really enjoyed it. Um, I'd probably give it a not quite golden. Nice. Um, yeah, I I got so into that movie when I was watching it that I, I ended up doing. I'm a nerd, so I like to go like fact digging, um, and like the amount of work that went into that script and that character is is just unbelievable. Because John Cameron Mitchell had been developing it. I think it started as like an improv thing, and then it became the musical, um, and then the movie. Like, so it, it wasn't like. I wrote it and then made it. It was, he invested a lot of time into developing um, Hedwig into the character. And I think that comes across really strongly. Like, you know, you always want a character to feel lived in. And this character feels super lived in to me, um, which you don't always get in a musical, you know? Like, because there's that surrealist element of a musical that uh, often keeps characters kind of at a distance. And while there's definitely surrealism in this movie, um, it, you, you, connect to the character and you feel very much like oh this is a, a real person who just happens to be in the music scene and that's one of the also interesting choices with this is the character is a musician 
So you don't have to do musical-esque numbers, per se. Like, you could just have natural performances. Like, if you look at Sing Street or Once. Right. Um, but they opt for the big musical productions, and I think I think it works really, really well. Um, and there's if you're a fan of the film, there are uh, several iterations of the Broadway musical. Neil Patrick Harris played Hedwig um, in one run of the show, and there's videos of him performing. And I think he actually performed at the Tonys. Um, one of the songs and uh, yeah, I, I really, really got into that movie when I was watching it. I've only seen it once, but I definitely want to revisit it. Um, yeah, I do want to revisit it. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a music. I, I'm bummed cause I'm going to be teaching musicals and that's just not one I can teach and I would totally yeah. like to, but yeah, it's just, yeah, not going to happen unfortunately, yeah. but I mean, I mean, apart from like, like there's the one middle segment I think is risque but mm-hmm. like apart from that you could probably get away with it but that one middle segment where, yeah yeah with the gummy bears yeah and that, and kind of the name of the movie too like there's a yeah, a, yeah um you know when you i don't want to again we're dancing around spoilers but uh when you understand why the movie's called what it's called there's a of a, a scene that kind of confirms that and yeah i can't show that so um but yeah it, it's it is fairly tame um overall but it, it deals with some tough issues too like it's not one of the happiest musicals which is not an insult i think that's one of the things i really like about it is so often musicals like to go for the uh overly optimistic and this movie's like no no life isn't like that music's an escape because life is so you know drab and, and awful sometimes yes yep um well i'm i'm glad you liked it um uh so you picked for me. Oh wait, you said not quite golden. So you you did give your rating. Yeah, I'm sorry. Not quite um. All right. So you picked for me. We the animals. Uh, which you had wanted me to watch for some time. Yes. Um. And you saw it at the Florida Film Festival, right? I saw it first at the Florida Film Festival, and then I got to see it again. Um, before I interviewed the director. Mm. So. And uh, the director is Jeremiah Zagar, I think. Zagar. Zagar. So that's interesting because it's ZA, but um, it stars Sheila Vand, uh, Raul Castillo, Evan Rosado. Uh, I'm guessing it's Josiah, but it could be Josiah Gabriel and Isaiah Christian. And um, our main character is um, Jonah, so Evan Rosado. And man, for a kid who has not done too much, although he's going to be in the Joker, apparently. Yeah. Um, He's not done too much outside of this film. He's he he has an amazing screen presence. Um, like which, I was shocked how good he was. Which I want to give. I'm going to give credit to the director on that. I mean, I don't know if this kid is is you know just been trained or groomed to do this, or I, I'm going to say the director. You know, like with if you watch Florida Project, you give credit to Sean Baker for uh, coaching the kids, and then Barry Jenkins for Moonlight. Um, you know, at least the first act of Moonlight uh, for directing the young kid. Um, but Evan Rosado in this is really impressive. I actually also, uh, the two adults in this film, because it is a very small film in terms of scale. Like, there's not a whole lot of other people. In fact, I should name drop um, the kid, the friend. What's his name? It's not even listed. Come on, IMDb. IMDb does not list the, the kid that he spends at least three scenes with yeah it's not on there that's ridiculous it, it's he's a major character okay well um i don't have he's the other name major yeah <laughs> i mean lying. god uh i don't know but um for some reason not listed on imdb at all uh but the two adults um especially ma that's the mother sheila, sheila van. van man she gives a tremendous performance but i also i do like well like might not be the right word but raw castillo's performance is also really good um, it's a tough movie. The, the movie deals with uh, abuse and neglect to a degree, and that's that's never an easy watch, especially when you're dealing with the the three kids, the three brothers. Um, and it deals with their relationship and how that relationship slightly shifts and changes. But uh, one of the things that I was most impressed with, given that this is a very independent film, you know, it's mainly one set. You know, it's mainly their house and the surrounding woods. Um, you know, just everything about it says really low budget, but they do these really cool animation sequences. Um, yes, that is the best part of the movie. I yeah. love that so much. Jonah is uh, keeps a, like a, a journal, but he also draws in the journal. 
Um, and we get a visualization of that on screen with the paper and then the drawings kind of coming to life. Um, but there's a few other scenes. That I think some of them could be spoilers, but where the visuals really impressed me. Um, and like he goes surreal with certain elements um, in ways that I, I connect with and really like when indie film does stuff like that. Um, it's a it's a metaphor, but it also it's it's unbelievably impressive because of the, the the environment that you know they're working under with the low budget, low options for these effects. I mean, you, you have a, a cast of relatively, you know, startups, you know, the cost there is going to be low. Um, but man, this movie, it's powerful. It's engaging. It's innovative. Um, and it and it tells a very specific story that I don't even know that I could say without it being a spoiler, you know, because it's so embedded in the character yeah the the cinematography too is just wonderful I yeah think. oh i agree and their use of lighting and the use of sound is also phenomenal especially when they're like banging on the tables and all of that mm. that like that shook me yeah yeah uh actually yes i i didn't make any notes of sound but i i'm remembering a few things um and yeah again uh even the scenes that deal with the abuse, I think, are handled pretty well. Um, like, you're, it's not too in your face. It's not exploitative. It's not gonna like uh, just make you confront it, but you know it's there. And it very much, if you've ever known someone to have to go through like an abusive home scenario, uh, there's a lot of scenes that definitely recreate and craft the feeling like that. Um, so it's and I wouldn't say it's a sad movie necessarily although there's definitely sadness in it there's also moments yes. of, of uh, humor and uh, just kids being kids you know there's a, a, a lot of coming of age elements in this um, and I think there's more like I wouldn't want to call this a coming of age story although there's definitely, definitely a coming of age story yeah I just I feel like it's it, there's something more to it than just that um, there there is but I, I think the core of it is the coming of age. And yeah, because like, there are like I, I can see like I see like three storylines and two out of those three are coming of age. And the third one is, I think, what makes it stand out. Gotcha. Gotcha. And we don't uh, we don't want to spoil this, but the best part, um, this doesn't always work out, but I had to watch this. I had to pay for it, um, essentially. Uh, but while, while we've been waiting to record this episode, it's now been added to Netflix. So if you are interested in We the Animals, we've not spoiled anything. We've actually said almost nothing about the real plot of the movie. Um, it is now available for you to watch if you subscribe to Netflix. So, uh, great advantage and a really great independent film that I think everyone should check out. There is, um, a little bit of nudity, very brief, uh, a woman's chest, essentially, um, and a little bit of sexuality, but it's not, it's not, again, it's not exploitative and it's, uh, it's brief. Um, but nonetheless, it is a part of the story. So, uh, know that going in, but otherwise, um, so, so what would you rate it? Um, I'm going to go, I'm not ready to say must see. Um, I'm going to say not quite golden. Um, I, with, somewhere in between there too. Like it's not perfect. Yeah. But it's, it's really great. I do think a second watch uh, is in the future for me, for sure. And um, I think it could end up in must-see, like if it clicks more. Um, I feel like I had to pause it for some reason. And I don't like to do that. Uh, I, I like, I'd like i much rather prefer watching a movie straight away because I don't want the director's tone to be disrupted um, by like real-life stuff. And like, like last night, I had to watch, uh, for Movie Club this week, we're watching Run, Lola, Run. Well, and halfway through the movie, my internet cut out, and oh. I was streaming it on Vudu, and I was like, "Oh no!" And th that movie is so like you have to be in it, and it, luckily I was yeah, able to get back in it. But, um, <clears throat> but yeah, so like stuff like that, I, I hate when that occurs. Um, even and this happened at the theater, like with uh, especially our local theater. If it rains too hard, yeah. the power's going out and, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> um. I've I've started I've started avoiding it going. In the, 
in the tequila scene in Baby Driver to me. Oh, and no. It was like the worst one. Like, it was like right before the shootout started in Baby Driver. And I'm like, no! <sighs> yeah, it happened. The last time I remember it happening to me was 20th Century Women. Um, and I think that I've, I've now avoided going to the movies if it's raining because I don't want to go through that again. The last so, time it happened to me was Ocean's 8, also inconveniently timed because oh, it was man. right as they were starting the heist. Jeez, that is bad timing. Yeah, it's always terrible timing when the power goes out for me. Well, um, these these were our reviews of the uh, two bad and two good movies that Sean and I picked for each other. Now we're going to look to our last episode for February and our last two movies. Uh, we're going to be picking Wild Card. And there were no rules. Uh, with the first four, we tried to pick things that the other one had not seen yet. Here, anything goes. Um, I'm going to go first. And then Sean will reveal his two. And depending on what Sean does to me will depend on what I do to him. So um, I'm going to start, though. depends the... on what you do to me than oh, what good. I do to you, though. Well, I'm going to so. start good. Um, and it's a movie that I don't think you've watched. And I've been trying to get everyone to watch uh, since I saw it at the Florida Film Festival, I believe, two years ago now. Um, and that's Pushing Dead. I have been meaning to watch this for the longest time. Perfect. And I've not had the reason to. So, like, I've had a reason to, but like I've just had to prioritize other things. Mm-hmm. And I've been meaning to watch it for a while. Now, I interviewed the director uh, a year after I saw it, mind you, um, Tom E. Brown. And uh, it stars James Roday, Robin Weigert, Danny Glover, and a few other people. But those are the three big stars. And James Roday is really the lead. Um, and one of the things that made me see it at the Florida Film Festival was a tagline. That simply said, an AIDS comedy. And I was like, well, I've never seen a movie rec- you know, say that before. So I was immediately intrigued as what this could be. And now I was not a Psych fan. I had not seen Psych at all. Since seeing Pushing Dead, I have started watching Psych. And I'm a huge fan of Psych. And James Roday especially. But this was my introduction to him as an actor. And I was so into this movie. I've been praising it for two years now. Trying to get everyone who will watch it to watch it. And the beauty of it is it's on Amazon Prime Instant. So everyone can watch it. Uh, the director's awesome. I recommend you listen to our podcast. He's one of the nicest people. I've actually been very fortunate. So I don't want to – all of my guests on the podcast have been amazing. Um, but Tom even reached out like on Facebook immediately and like added me as a friend on Facebook. Just a super down-to-earth guy who is a super talented uh, writer and director. Um, but – when a struggling writer, HIV positive for 20 plus years, accidentally deposits a $100 birthday check, he has dropped from his health plan for earning too much. That's the setup. And um, Rodé is hilarious. Robin Weigert actually was like my favorite part of this movie, though. She is so funny in this film. Um, I just, I'm excited to see what you think about it, Sean. So Pushing Dead is my first wildcard pick. To see it. <laughs> so my first wildcard pick for you is a good movie. Oh, thank God. It's actually one of my favorites of all time. I don't know if you're going to see this one coming, but about a month ago, I rewatched this movie, and I told you I had rewatched it, and you're like, I have ne- you said you had never seen it. Oh. And I was shocked that you had never seen this movie, because I consider it to be one of the best comedies ever made. Mm. Uh, and it's actually got one of your childhood favorites in it. It's got Ralph Macchio in it. Oh. And it's... Um, Huh. One of the most surprising Academy Award wins of all time because uh, Marissa Tomei won an Oscar for her supporting performance. And it's also got Joe Pesci in it. It's, oh. Uh, My Cousin Vinny is the first movie you're going to be watching. Okay. Um, unfortunately, uh. it's not on any streaming services, but it does come on TV all the time. So you might be able to find it on TV. But um, this is one of my all-time favorite movies. Um, I used to watch it all the time when I was a kid. Uh, basically, every time it would come on TV, my grandfather and I would watch it. Um, it's so much fun. Um, actually, it's one of the most respected legal movies of all time because a lot of lawyers have said that this is like one of the most accurate portrayals wow. of the courtroom ever, and it's a comedy. So um, I'm really excited for you to watch this one. Um, I th- figured you had already seen it when I had texted you that I had saw it in theaters. And when you said you hadn't seen it, I, I immediately not. knew that this was going to be your wild card pick. Okay. Well, see, that's I, I was so nervous coming into this. Uh, <laughs> that's when, uh, you know, I don't 100% know why I never watched it. Um, but I am 
uh, I'm, I'm glad to finally check this off the list because, again, it is a, a movie that keeps coming up. And like you said, it's on all the time. I do think I'll end up renting this on, like, a digital streaming platform, though. Um, I, have, I, own, I only own it on DVD or else I would totally, like – I would lend you, um, it, but I'm, I'm far away now, so I yeah. can't lend you. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so you're probably going to have to rent this one, unfortunately. Yeah. No, no problem. I mean, I, re- I had to rent like... Norm in the North. I'd rather rent this one. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm feeling nice today. Oh, thank you. So goodness. I'm going to give you a second nice movie. Um, it's a very good movie. It's one that's going to prepare you for a movie that I'm assuming you want to see next month. I don't know if you're going to be able to see it next month. But um, the movie that's coming out next month is Gloria Bell. Uh, And so I'm going to give you one of Sebastian Lelio's other movies. Uh, I'm going to give you Disobedience. Um, Oh, that's from last year, right? Yes, from last year. It's Rachel Weisz and Rachel McAdams. Um, Which, you know, Rachel Weisz is one of my favorite actresses. So Yes. And so this one's being very nice. Uh, it's Amazon Prime for mm-hmm. this one. Um, I think you're really going to enjoy it. Uh, just a warning, though, I would let your wife know you're watching it because yeah. there is one scene that is somewhat graphic. Yeah, I know it's the I like, know the premise of the movie. So well, it's not like Handmaiden or even Dogtooth graphic, but like it's it's kind of. I'd say it's close in severity to the first scene of The Handmaid. Okay. Got it, got it. Um, yeah, because that Handmaiden, uh, if you haven't seen The Handmaiden, one, it's amazing, uh, but it is very, very sexual. Um, but, yeah, uh, I, I know the premise of this film. In fact, um, Battleship Pretension did an episode, I think, where they, they discussed Jewish movies? Um, yes. And... Uh, well, I'm trying to remember. I know that this is a Jewish. I was trying oh. to remember what the topic of their episode was. I think it was because it was before Christmas. And so they instead of doing Christmas movies that they've done every year, because you can only talk about so many Christmas movies and you just right. uh, you've covered them. Um, and uh, I think they did this year. They did Jewish film. And um, this was one that was brought up. And so it's been on my radar for a little bit. Plus, obviously, Rachel Weisz is in it. And it was a 2018 film that I did not see. Uh, something that I was trying to like at the end of the year. What what do I need to watch? So I'm I'm excited to to give this one a watch. I will uh, warn my wife. Maybe she'll watch it with me. Um, I think your wife would like it. Actually. Yeah, and uh, she's she likes Rachel uh, McAdams for sure. So, um, well, like one of the other ones I was gonna give you um, was one that you would have had to warn your wife about, but I decided against it. Um, it was Berlin. I love you, which is um, the anthology film i just watched that i consider to be the worst movie i've ever seen and there are some weird sexual scenes in that just in general like there's a scene where um, mickey Rourke tries to sleep with his daughter not knowing it's his daughter oh yeah yeah you mentioned that movie yeah so i decided against that i decided to give you disobedience instead because yeah, that one that one was a anthology thing and that's yes. not always my cup of tea although i do i'm not opposed to anthologies but it's like i do like a I feel like an anthology could be such a, a roller coaster ride of an experience because one could be great and then the next three could be awful. And from what you told yeah. me about this one, I would have been more Every on the awful. One of them is awful. It's just, uh, it's a downhill, it's, it's a base it's, jumping of a movie, right? You just get on the top and jump it's, down. It's just bad. <laughs> but what? yeah, like that was going to be the, the, I had a, I had a tab of movies that were like good and then a tab that I labeled real pain and under real pain were Berlin I Love You and Death of a Nation. And oh. so if the first movie had been bad, you would have watched one of those two. Well, <laughs> on a similar note, um, I was thinking, uh, what's Sean's Kryptonite? Um, and so one, I'm not giving you this. I'm not giving you this. These are movies that I, I had as my backups if you attack me. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> Baby Mama was going to be the first, uh, which is oh. – Amy Poehler and Amy Tina Poehler. Fey. Um, if you're not, if you're a listener, you don't know this. Sean hates Amy Poehler. Um, and, but I love Parks and Rec. <laughs> yeah, oddly, uh, but um, that was one I had on the list. Um, I had uh, a couple of Adam Sandler Netflix movies because that's I was I wasn't sure how you were going to come at me, so I had those um, ready. The Do Over is actually kind of funny, um, but I turned off the Ridiculous Six. Like I could not stand that. And I haven't uh, watched it with others. But now, uh, I want I want one little caveat here. If you've seen the movie I'm about to recommend, I would like to okay. change it to, to, to give you something That's new cool. to watch. 
Um, but the movie I'm going to pick is on Hulu, and it's uh, written, directed, and stars Lake Bell called In a World. I've not seen it. Perfect. This is the movie that, again, Lake Bell is, I think, one of the most underappreciated actresses working. Um, she is hilarious. She is very, very talented. And this movie is a it's a film nerds kind of movie because uh, the Inner World was like the trade trademark trailer line, right? And in yeah. this, uh, she is a voiceover actress who does like the trailer voiceovers, and um, they're deciding to bring back the phrase Inner World. So they're looking for who will be the new voice of Inner World, and um, it, that's kind of the framework of the film and and how it is to be a female doing that voiceover because traditionally it is a male driven role um and it, it's funny it's also insightful and it's just great um I, I am a big fan of hers uh and so i thought hey i'm gonna make someone watch this movie just like pushing dead actually two movies that i i have been advocating and wanting people to watch that uh, maybe if i get someone else to watch it more people will do so so and this is on hulu yeah i'm looking forward to it i've actually been meaning to check that one off my list for a while too um so yeah i, I like like bell a lot um yeah, yeah, and I definitely when I say underestimate or underappreciated, I don't I don't mean from film people, but I think in the general right. populace, not enough people are aware yeah. of her, um, and that's a shame because she's just I, terrific. I love her in uh, Wet Hot American Summer. Mm-hmm. And um, the first time I was aware of her was in uh, What Happens in Vegas, the Cameron Diaz and Ashton Kutcher rom com, um, and I've she never is heard that. <laughs> oh, she's Cameron Diaz's best friend and invents the phrase junk punch. Um, oh. And it's probably my favorite part of that whole movie is is her and the relationship with Rob Corddry in the film. Uh, they crack me up throughout the movie. Um, yeah, that she's, she won me over there. And so anytime I see her in something, I try to give it a watch. She's in that Owen Wilson, um, Pierce Brosnan movie. Um, I can't think of what it's called, but he's... Oh, No Escape? That's it. Yeah, she's the she wife. She was the only good part of that movie. That movie was terrible. I... I yeah, she was definitely I my favorite part. that out of my memory. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, that's going to be our next episode. We're going to watch these two wildcard movies. We'll get back uh, together to talk. We were kind, and I like that. Because um, we, we, really, Sean and I love movies a lot. And so we do want to uh, always encourage people to check out these gems that are out there. Um, and, of course, to be fair, you can't appreciate the really, truly great films without seeing a few crappy ones. And, and that was the whole point of the original challenge was to make the other person watch some movies that we love that we think the other person would love and then to um, make them appreciate those movies more by having them compare it to bad movies. Yeah, something juxtaposed. Um, you know, and, and it does. Uh, it's it's true. As, as painful as some of these bad movies can be, um, some are enjoyable. Like, it sounds like uh, Dog Eat Dog, bad but can be enjoyable to the right audience. Um, and other movies are nothing more than a cash grab, and that's uh, Norm of the North, Keys of the Kingdom. It's l literally just trying to hope that some you know foolish parent will buy it thinking, hey, my kid will watch this and shut up for two hours. Um, and that's Hour a shame. And a Hour and a half. Feels like more. <laughs> um, well, that's this episode. Uh, you can follow me on social media at Burke Reviews. And, Sean, where can they find you on the webs? Uh, you can find my reviews on popaxiom.com, P-O-P-A-X-I-O-M.com. Um, you can follow the website on at popaxiom on Twitter or Instagram. And you can follow me um, on <coughs> at Big Tune on Film on Twitter or Instagram. And uh, in March, Sean's going to be hitting South by Southwest, so you'll definitely yes. want to do that. Um, it's a great way of finding out what big movies are going to be coming in the years, uh, the following year. Like, I saw The Unicorn at South by last year, and it just came out on VOD or something recently. Yes. And my review is just blowing up on my site right now. That's where everyone's going is to check out The Unicorn. Um, because people I like are like, what one. is that? I actually saw that one last month. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan of it. Um, waiting, some of the Tribeca films are just starting to kind of uh, trickle out and jellyfish was one of my favorite films from the festival last year tough watch but amazing performance um and really good movie but again tough um but i do recommend jellyfish i almost had that as your wild card but i, I think it's still like you have to outright buy it right now so i didn't want to yeah um, I, I was half-hearted like i was kind of expecting that one because i knew you really mm. love that one and i've been seeing a lot of it on like twitter yeah um so like 
I was kind of expecting that one to be one of the ones you were going to recommend. But I'm very happy with the two you recommended. I'm Good. excited to watch I, those. I'm looking forward to having a, uh, the follow-up conversation with you about them. Um, listeners, you can, of course, go to BerkReviews.com to read my reviews. I will be going to Tribeca this year, uh, all locked in, uh, still looking to um, pay, pay off some of the money we had to shell out to do it. So if you are wanting to help the podcast and the reviews, if you will go to BerkReviews.com, there's a link to our GoFundMe. Um, you can give any amount of money that you would like, a dollar, ten dollars, a hundred dollars, um, and just help us pay off the travel cost uh, of going to Tribeca um, so that my editor and I can uh, partake in the festival, give you the quality reviews and podcasts about the movies so that you know about them when they come out because there's some really great independent films, including uh, all these small moments that Sean recommended for me. That was a Tribeca debut last year, so... Things like that um, are a great way of finding these small little independent gems. Uh, we the Animals was at Florida Film Festival. And um, then played at Tribeca. And then at uh, Tribeca. And, and Disobedience also played at Tribeca. Yep. And and uh, I my one of my bad movies for you was Zoe, um, which was Ewan McGregor and I forget the actress. Um, but I've actually, uh, It's Leah Sido. I don't uh, know how to pronounce her name. But she's from um, The Lobster, actually. Yep. But... Um, I, I really want to watch that one. I've been meaning to watch that one for a while. Uh, I know it's not very good, supposedly, but it's I, something I think I'm going to really enjoy. I really hated it. Uh, I think it's on, It's actually on Prime, by the way, though. So yeah, it's you, a Prime original. Yeah, uh, I really hated that movie. I wanted to love it. I was so excited about seeing it because I love Ewan McGregor. Man, it's such the trash. The thing that worried me about that one was that they did not do a theatrical release for it at all. Yeah. Like, they just dropped it on Prime. And it's, so I'm like, yeah, they don't have any confidence in this. They shouldn't. It's really bad. But uh, I, that was one of my I, – I do want – I'm curious. To, I haven't got to talk to too many other people about it, um, so I'd love for you to watch it and tell me what you think. But um, – and another uh, that I've been advocating, a night, The Night Eats the World, which is also on Prime, um, is I saw at Tribeca and is a really cool take on the zombie genre. Um, it's, I think, a French film, so – uh, subtitles, but there's not a lot of talking, so it's not even if you're if you're not a fan of subtitles. I know you are. I'm saying like listeners. Oh yeah, no, I know. Um, <clears throat> but either way, um, if you want to donate, hit berkreviews.com, click that link, go to GoFundMe, and again, anything helps. Um, the more listeners, the more supporters that we get, the easier it is on everybody's wallets. Um, it's not free to hope to do all the stuff that we do, um, but we do it because we love it, and uh, we hope that you do too. So if you happen to love it if you'll share and review the podcast on itunes and on your social media just to help spread the word um we would greatly appreciate it so until next time listeners keep watching movies Do you like movies? Do you like podcasts? Or are you just lonely? If the answer is yes, and even if it's not, then check out the What I Watch Tonight show's filmtastic selection of podcasts, covering the entire movieverse as something for everyone. So come check it out. More details at whatiwatchtonight.co.uk or from all good podcast providers.